This week, we continue the celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Super Nintendo after that awesome Super Castlevania 4 episode last week by talking to two people that you've heard on the show about their specific Super Nintendo memories of the launch, the games that they played so much growing up, the games that they go back to commonly today, the things that really hold up, and just some awesome side discussions on the Super Nintendo, its hardware, some history of it going all over the place, just hanging out, talking Super Nintendo. And this is really what I think is so great about Back in My Play, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy these next two episodes because I absolutely enjoyed recording them and talking some more about the Super Nintendo. Here it is. Welcome to a special segment of Back in My Play. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and it is the 25th anniversary of the Super Nintendo, roughly, unless your name is John Riccardi and got your console extra early. And on the line with me right now, coming all the way from Hotlanta, is Chris Johnston, CJ of the Player One Podcast. CJ, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on, Kevin. It's been a while since we've done one of these. It, it has been a while. Yeah, it's, it's because you don't like the Sega Dreamcast. Well, you're yeah, you're doing your summer of Dreamcast, <laughs> and uh, I like the Dreamcast, but I, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's better to do that stuff with uh, Seward. Yeah, he's uh, you know he's the Sega guy. He's the one that is always going to uh, you know fight the Sega good Sega fight uh, and. So much so that he played all the way through Shenmue. So Shenmue 2, I should say. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something. But I played all the way through Pen Pen Tri Isolon. So, I mean, Whoa. who really suffered? It, I, it was me. I it, suffered. Or the person that played through Floygan Brothers Episode 1. And then I they did didn't get Episode too. 2. Oh, no. <laughs> and I hear my review was one of the reasons that it got axed. <laughs> oh, no. makes me feel real good. It was a terrible game. It was awful. Floygan Brothers, man. I'm, I'm actually, um, I, I've been meaning to go back and listen to this, but for some reason I had like this memory of um, when, I don't know if it's still around, but when Bitmob was a thing with, who was it? It was Shu and it was... I forget who else was it. Damian Lynn uh, that was Damian also Lynn. in that. Okay, yeah. um, like they, they they were running that, and they did like a really good like Dreamcast anniversary in two thousand and nine, like a really good podcast for that. And I finally found that, and I remember there being a really good Floygan Brothers story from someone that worked at Sega. So I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that and see if like you know mm. you were brought up as a cited cause for <laughs> the death of that series. Well, it didn't review well, and I may have uh, contributed to that. Well, you know, in the day of Kickstarter, it might come back, and uh, no, we're just going to kickstart it. No, nope, that's not going to kickstart the Floygan Brothers uh, reboot. No, that, that's not going to be in the Adult Swim uh, lineup no. of of games. <laughs> no, God, no! Come on, man, you're bringing back Toe Maybe Jam. Flintstones Bedrock Bowling. Ooh, all right, yeah, we are bringing back Toe Jam. We're helping out uh, Greg Johnson and Human Nature Studios, and that's super exciting. It, you know, it was even as a, crazier. As a fan. That that is first off, that is gigantic news. That's super awesome. Um, but I first Thank read you. it as Greg Seward when I read it, <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa, you guys are working together on Toe Jam and Earl? It's like the dream team." That would be funny, but no, Greg is not. Greg Seward is not working on Toe Jam and Earl. 
No, but you guys got the right people working on that game, and uh, it's going to be. It's like what everyone is kind of saying. It's like, yeah, it's it's like the it's the sequel that everyone's wanted, and now they're gonna finally get it, and it's backed by you guys that have just been yeah. absolutely killing it in the publishing uh, space these days. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's gonna be playable at PAX West. So, any retro game fans that want to check out the new Toe Jam and Earl, come on by the Adult Swim booth on the sixth floor and you can check it out but what you did not do is publish any super nintendo games no no we're a little too late a a, a little bit a little bit um but you never well maybe you guys can get into the business of just like releasing those uh like homebrew uh you know repro carts and put some hell there's actually a couple adult swim properties that would work really well as super nintendo games yeah we could probably reskin super noah's ark yeah, uh, with some Aqua Teen Hunger Force, maybe. Yeah. Totally release that. Yeah, oh, man. But <laughs> I, I wanted to, I wanted to get you on. I'm going to talk to a couple other people just about, like, you know, just talking about the Super Nintendo because it is a great excuse to just, you know, talk about this this incredible console some more. And, um, you know, when people hear this, like the great thing about podcasts, I don't know when you're going to hear this, but basically, the date that we're kind of narrowing in on, which. You know, again, unless you're like John Riccardi, who somehow got the console a couple days early, um, August 23rd was the date in 1991 when the Super Nintendo was officially released in North America. So I wanted to take, uh, again, this opportunity to just talk to some, you know, some fans of the Super Nintendo to hit hit on a couple things. And the first thing I want to start off with, uh, CJ, and you're welcome to kind of take this ball and and run with it wherever you want to but uh, one of the things i definitely want to talk to you a little bit about is just you know your your initial impressions of of that console like as the hype was leading up to to launch like what if you if you remember any of that stuff if you remember any of that hype and just like how excited you were for for that console's launch i do remember the hype and I was an avid reader of Electronic Gaming Monthly at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was before I worked there. I did work there. I started working <laughs> there in 1994. So this was a couple of years before that. Um, and I loved their coverage of the Super Nintendo and the mm. Super Famicom before that. Like, I would just stare at screens of Super Mario World. <laughs> there was... There was a video game buyer's guide they did yep. one of those years that had Super Mario World on the cover, mm-hmm. I think. and uh, Or maybe it didn't, but it had a lot of Super Mario World coverage inside. Mm-hmm. And I just stared at those screenshots and like tried to imagine what it would be like to play that game and really all of the Super NES games. And uh, it was exciting to me. I was an, an NES guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I did own a master system for a short time and then I, uh, I, I bought into the Genesis hype. I bought into the whole, uh, blast <laughs> processing racket and, uh, <laughs> loved Sonic the Hedgehog. But in my heart of hearts, mm-hmm. I was a Mario fan, Nintendo fan. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was excited about the super NES. I remember, uh, cause I, back in those days, you know, you would, as a kid, you would probably, you know, go to the mall uh, uh, maybe once a week, twice a week, maybe depending. Like, uh, if you could hitch a ride with your mom who has to go to <laughs> Sears for something, you'd exactly. like go to go to Sears, and while she shopped for clothes, you'd run over to the Babbage's or the Electronics mm-hmm. Boutique, right? And uh, 
I remember uh, seeing the Super Nintendo and the launch games uh, on a front um, sort of end cap thing at the local Babbage's. This was also before I worked there because I eventually did work there too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they had uh, they had um, what did they have? They had Draken. Do you remember Draken? Of course, yeah. And Ultraman. Ooh, and yeah. uh, I, I don't remember if uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts was a launch day game. It was very, it was very, very close very to close. launch. Yeah, but they had all these boxes set up, and it was the first time I had seen Super Nintendo boxes in a store, and it was just super exciting. And I, of course, I didn't have the money to get a uh, a system at that point because <laughs> I already, I had already backed the Genesis, so I was already uh, deep into that. So. Uh, but it was exciting to see Nintendo finally, finally go 16-bit. They they were dragged. Kept, I mean, I don't know if we have to even go into this whole story, but they were really dragged uh, kick, kicking and screaming into the uh, yeah. 16-bit era, and Sega forced their hand a little bit, and eventually they were able to to, to get there. And just to, to answer that question, um, there was basically um, the launch week that had F-Zero, uh, Gradius 3, Pilot Wings, SimCity, and of course, Super Mario World, which was packed in for us here in North America with not one, but two controllers. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, man. What a value. What what a what an incredible value! And the week after that, they uh, released these hot titles: The Chessmaster, uh, Draken, Hyperzone, Super R Type, which ran at a crisp fourteen to fifteen frames per second, and Final Fight, which you know we don't need to bring up any uh, thoughts on Final Fight. But there was like a, a pretty decent launch lineup all the way to Christmas, like very steady stream of of games that were coming out for that thing. Sure, I mean Bill Lambier's Combat Basketball, correct? Super hit, huge Super holiday hit. title. Um, it was yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff, and I I I was uh, you know again I won't really talk about my memory so much. I'm more curious about about yours, but yeah, the I think that is something really special to just focus on for a second though is like that that box, the Super NES Super Set that you were able to get, you know, the console the best game for the console at the time, uh, two quote-unquote high-tech controllers, and you were able to just basically take that thing home and have you know hours and hours of fun exploring the the multiple worlds of Super Mario World. Yeah. Not bad. Pretty fantastic. So how long did it take you to get a Super Nintendo? I didn't get a Super Nintendo until Link to the Past came out. Holy crap. Wow. So you you weren't one of the people that like pawned all like, you know, let's just put everything on deck. Let's get that Genesis out here, all the games. We just need to find out some way to get a Super Nintendo in this house. No. You're a patient. <laughs> I was patient. Also, I was, yeah, I don't even, how old was I? I was like 14 or something. Mm-hmm. I had no money. No, no Great. money. So yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I could just uh, salivate over uh, the magazine pictures of it. Well, uh, Zelda, Zelda didn't come out until April of 1992. So you ended up. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. that long, but it was almost like uh, a year after launch. Yeah, a year after launch. Wow. That's right. Yeah, and I. Uh, so, as an enterprising young youngin, I uh, decided. Uh, that I wanted to try to get into the consumer electronics show, 
um, <laughs> when I was four, when I was fourteen, and of mm-hmm. course, at fourteen years old, I was still six foot three. So <laughs> while they say that CES is an eighteen and over show, I really had no problem getting mm-hmm. in. No one questioned me. Uh, and I had taken like a summer course at the local public access cable station mm-hmm. and used that as my in for getting into CES. And uh, so I had seen like, you know, the setup of the Super Nintendo mm-hmm. and uh, got the press kit for the Nintendo had. And it had, you know, contact information from, uh, I think Dolan Harris was the. Um, PR firm that was handling mm-hmm. Nintendo at the time. And I decided, I don't know how I, how I did this, but I, I got up the, uh, the courage to call them and say that, you know, I'm from this magazine, which I did work at a fanzine or I did a fanzine at the time. I didn't work at a fanzine. Mm-hmm. I made a, a small video game newsletter at the time. And I said, you know, that I had talked to the person who was on the press announcements like the the press contact name Mm -hmm. and that she had said that she would send me a super nintendo or like hook me (laughs) up on the press list and i didn't think it would work but i thought i gave gave it a shot you know maybe this will work maybe it won't and Mm -hmm. it did work they sent me a super nintendo with link to the past and uh a game boy with a bunch of games too and an nes oh geez games too so i had two um uh, NESs after that, but uh, so they sent it with Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past, which was mm-hmm. fantastic. And the unfortunate thing is, I I plugged it into the wall to play and got to play like an hour, and then it was lunchtime or whatever. I had to go downstairs and eat lunch, came back up, and there had been a surge in the wall unit. Oh no! The screen was frozen, and I had to take it in for repair. And of course, uh, they're like, "All right, where's your receipt?" Oh wait, did I'm you like, take I don't it have to a receipt. like one of those? Um, like they back then, like we used to do this too. Like there was actual officially licensed Nintendo repair shops. Yeah, you had an authorized Nintendo service yeah. center. So yeah, I did. I took it to one of those, and they were like, "All right, where's your proof of purchase?" Um, I got this system for free. And I don't I don't know if they believed it or what they probably thought I took it off the back of a truck or something. Mm-hmm. But they did repair it, which I was very thankful for. But it cost me like fifty bucks or Ugh. something, so I ended up paying fifty bucks for my SNES. Uh, I guess. Um, but I that's still have that. Bad. I still have that system to this day. Wow! I that's... did buy a redesigned Super Nintendo, so I have bought a Super Nintendo. Obviously. Uh, since then but contributed to the cause i contributed to the cause yeah i um yeah i remember those and they were actually uh yeah authorized nintendo service centers and i was always very fascinated about the like their testing equipment and and stuff like that and just like walking into a store which just had like walls of like extra controllers like brand new controllers and you know those weird uh test carts which are actually like very common and easy to find in Japan for the Super Famicom uh, mm. to, to find those test cards, but those are like I'm sure there are like hundreds of dollars now in the states here for the U.S. stuff. But um, yeah, that's that that that's crazy. But I, you know, you got to you know get arguably the best game on the system with with Link to the Past. But um, yes. 
you, you know, along with all that stuff, I'm kind of curious, like for, for you, and this is trying to put yourself back in the, you know, early to mid nineties, like what were your go-to games on that console back then? What were the games that were getting the most playtime from you? Um, well, Zelda Link to the Past definitely uh, got a ton of play. Uh, Super Mario World, I finished that. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the hell out of Street Fighter 2. The original Street Fighter 2. The original, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I had to go to the doctor because my thumb was pop- <laughs> doing this popping thing. Like, I had played it so much. Too many fireballs? <laughs> Too many fireballs and too many shoryukens, <laughs> and my thumb had this like popping noise. It would just the joint would pop whenever <laughs> I bent my thumb. So I went to the doctor, and they were like, "All right, what you got to do mm. is you just got to lay off the Nintendo for a little while." <laughs> It'll be uh, that's a that's a like, brutal oh. diagnosis, though. Like that's like that's a prescription that's hard to follow. That's right. You can't you can't follow something like that. Even if a medical professional tells you, you you shouldn't do it, strictly power pad, strictly power pad games for the next right. month. Play a lot right. of Street Cop. <laughs> After that, I bought the uh, the ASCII Super Stick or whatever. And did you that. really? No, I well, I don't think I bought it then, but I did eventually <laughs> buy an ASCII Super Stick. Yeah, oh, uh, man. I think when Mortal Kombat Two came out, I bought that. All right, that's uh, a pretty good reason to do it too. Yeah. Because Mortal Kombat 2 on the Super Nintendo, it had the blood back, right? Mm-hmm. That's it wasn't right. the sweat from the first one. They realized their misstep and just allowed uh, a claim in Midway to uh, to put it in the sequel. I was, was good. I was talking to our mutual friend Benjamin Rivers uh, a couple nights ago, and I, I was kind of surprised at how how important Mortal Kombat was uh, for him to the point where like he was a hardcore genesis mortal kombat one but from there on out it was of course the super nintendo versions that finally caught up and had the brutality that that uh that that uh franchise was known for oh yeah it was huge uh, you know street fighter and mortal kombat you those were the games everybody had right and uh mortal kombat especially in you know i'm from chicago and uh, oh Midway, yeah, yeah a chicago area company mm-hmm. and um, you know, they would do location tests for Mortal Kombat. And the great thing was that, you know, I'd get my copy of EGM in uh, early in the month and they would talk about this game, Mortal Kombat, and they'd have spy shots or whatever. And I could mm-hmm. go to the arcade, like the local bowling alley, and they would have it on location test there. And I could really play it before it was really in, in wow. uh, EGM, which was fantastic. Uh, Street Fighter, the original Street Fighter 2, The World Warrior, was actually mm-hmm. the fourth best-selling game on the console behind uh, Super Mario World, of course. Surprisingly, Donkey Kong Country um, mm-hmm. and Super Mario Kart, but I guess not so much for those three because at one time or another, all three of those games were, uh, at some point during the life of the console, pack-ins as well. Yeah. They all had their own uh, you know, special uh, pack-ins. Did you have a favorite peripheral for the the super nintendo i know of course it was like the the super scope uh six which is also 
um, you know, a great way to de-evolve someone if you need to at some point in your life. Um, but also of the, I mean, I guess the big ones would have been the the Super Game Boy, the X-Band modem. Uh, and if you're in Japan, the Satellaview, I'm guessing you didn't import one of those to try to play some uh, BS Zelda. No, no. Um, and I didn't have a Super Scope. Never. So, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, there no wasn't really a reason to. No, um, my big ones were, I had a multi-tap, um, one of the third-party ones, too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the Hudson multi-tap, because they had Super Bomberman, which, you know, reading the right. GM and diehard game fan, you, you knew that Bomberman was a legit game, and you had to had to get that. So I bought, I bought the multi-tap for Bomberman and NBA Jam. NBA Jam was four players on Super Nintendo. I'm pretty sure it was. I don't. Well, I don't doubt you. That's just that's just uh, (laughs) that's that's awesome. uh, If if it was, Um, along with that, were were there were there any like games that you were just like like it was the game that your friend always had? Like you always had to like you never owned this game, but you were always playing it over at a friend's house. Um. Because hmm. I guess you're getting to the age where you could kind of like, if you wanted something, you could pretty much, you know, go out and buy it or Nintendo was sending it to you. Yeah, the one I remember the most uh, was Area 88. Really? Uh, <laughs> which I don't, th- it's not Area 88 in the US, right? It's called something else. UN Squadron. UN Squadron, that's right. Yes. So uh, I saw that at a friend's house and that was just a super cool looking game. And I was into shooters mm-hmm. at the time because everybody was, and, <laughs> uh, it just looked fantastic. Um, so I never owned it though. Still don't own it. Is Donkey Kong country a good game? No, no, it is not. Okay. okay. Is, is Yoshi's <laughs> Island a good game? Yoshi's Island is a good game. That's one that I still have not played all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I recognize it as a good game, but I didn't get into it at the time. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure why, but uh, but I didn't. Maybe I was uh, sick of platformers at the time. I don't remember. But Donkey Kong Country, uh, I thought it looked great visually, mm-hmm. and I didn't think it played well. Um, yeah. Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy four or Final Fantasy six, six all the way. Okay, okay, okay. That was that. So Final Fantasy six was the uh, first RPG that I finished. Yeah, that's a super long game. It probably it was probably the second RPG that I played. I played Lunar: The Silver Star Story before. Uh, before Final Fantasy VI. Lunar, Did you get your free Final copy 16. of Dragon, Dragon? I guess in that time, Dragon Warrior? No, I didn't. I was completely uninterested in RPGs, mm-hmm. actually, because uh, my brother was hardcore into Dungeons & Dragons, and I did not see the point. <laughs> I, like He was into fantasy novels. I had no interest in that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so RPGs were kind of this thing where a lot of people liked them and it was a you know a big up and coming genre and I I was not into it. But I was working at EGM when Final Fantasy VI came out in Japan. And a good friend of mine at the magazine, John Gurko, is super into Final Fantasy 
uh, for really all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta check out this game. Final fantasy <laughs> six. Like as soon as it comes out in English, you have to buy it. Like it's mm-hmm. so good. And so on his recommendation, I, I picked up final fantasy three and, uh, loved every minute of it. It was the first RPG I, f- I played all the way to the end. And I, I teared up. I got shivers during the uh, opera house scene. Like it was the first time that a game really gave me any feels. So all the feels. Should have played some SOS, or I guess it was was it SOS or Septetrion here in the states. That weird human entertainment ship ship game. You yeah, to, I like, remember seeing yeah. seeing that, but I never I never played played that one. Uh, what what uh, you know? What are the games that you know? Still twenty five years later, are the ones that you are regularly going back to, or the ones that you know you're you're making sure that you're picking up on the on the virtual console? Um, what are those games that are still you know just as good today um, as they were back then for you, and that you like to go back to? I think Final Fantasy three is still good. Hmm. Um, I replayed that when that came out on the PlayStation one. Um, you have lots I of played, patience. I played past the opera house scene on that just to get a screenshot. Actually, it was just to get a screenshot <laughs> for the review. Uh, I played past the opera house scene, uh, in that one. Um, Zelda link to the past, I think is good. I, I the control kind of feels wonky now to me. I don't know why that is, uh, after link between worlds, it doesn't mm-hmm. quite feel right, but I love that game anyway. Um, Super Metroid, I just recently went back and mm-hmm. finished that on the Wii U Virtual Console. Um, and it it aged really, really well. Um, Super Mario All-Stars, I'll replay those yep. often. You're, um, you're All-Stars over the original 8-bits? No, not really, but I I really like the All-Stars version of the first game and 3. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, two is, yeah, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I love Super Mario Brothers 2, but I p- would rather play the NES original right. on that one. Um, and then, let's see, Tetris Attack. Man, mm-hmm. Tetris Attack, it, it's like I'll mention Tetris Attack and Panel de Pawn as being like my favorite puzzle game ever. And people look at me like, what game? What? <laughs> or like, Pokemon what Puzzle about? League? Like Pokemon Puzzle League yeah. or Panel de Pawn or Planet Puzzle League. Like you have to remember these games. And they're like, no, I don't remember <sighs> that. It's like, how are you people gamers and you don't know this game? Like, or even like Magical Drop. Like Magical Drop is basically that game, but, you know, matching three instead of two or whatever. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I guess they're both match three. Yeah. Magical Drop's like they same thing. They're both match three. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Tetris Attack on the Super Nintendo had this uh, slowdown problem. <laughs> if you if you got really good at the game and put together like so many combos it would slow it would like break the super nintendo and mm-hmm. like make it slow down and it was fantastic it was just really fun to play especially against somebody who knew what they were doing and could so you could both get the machine to start slowing down and mm-hmm. uh yeah newer versions of the game don't have that problem which uh makes them feel different to play but still fun and i i seriously wish that nintendo would bring back 
Penalty Pond because that game is so good. And more people yeah. need to know how awesome it is as a puzzle game. Or even just, um, I can't remember if it is, but maybe Pokemon uh, Pokemon Puzzle League, the Game Boy Color versions on the 3DS, at least? Yeah, that one did come out, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's something. They're throwing us a bone something. with that. Yeah. I uh, played the crap out of that, too. Uh, I bought the Japanese version of Pokemon Puzzle League. Or, uh, yeah. Was that what it was called? Yeah. Whatever. I think it was in in Japan, it was Pokemon Panel de Pawn or something like that. But I played the crap out of that on the Game Boy Color. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, uh, this is kind of perfect timing. It's just, again, we were mentioning. Uh, Benjamin Rivers, he's like, just sent me a message. I'm about to go start streaming in about five minutes with Jason Canham, Super Castlevania. Um, Ooh. Good timing. Good timing. Yeah. Um, man, Canada's got some good game devs. Um, so I, I guess maybe the there was there was kind of like one more thing that I wanted to um ask you. But um so I, I guess I guess out of the, all that stuff, it was there was there one game that you always um, that you always kind of like wanted to pick up, but you weren't able to like find, or it was too rare, or like you wanted to import it from Japan, or you weren't able to to get it. Uh, was, was there just any kind of like elusive game for you at all? Hmm. Because I guess that by the time, like even in the later years of the SNES, you're you're you know starting to work at EGM, so you're getting access to basically anything that you want. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have any Super Nintendo games that I didn't buy that I want to would you know regret that I didn't buy them. Um, I ne- Well, I guess I never bought Mario Paint. I don't have Mario Paint, and I, I don't know why. I like I like the idea of that game, and mm-hmm. uh, I have the mouse actually. I so I I bought. The mouse in Japan because there was a another game that used it called Mario and Wario. Yes, and so I have they they packed the mouse in with that game, and I bought that game in Japan. Uh, but I don't have Mario Paint for some reason. I don't know why. That would also, I mean, you're speaking of games that they should bring back. Like that seems like it would be, um, you know, really good to to bring back for the. Whether, whatever they're doing next, whether it be a handheld or, or whatever, because you could you know make music on that thing. You could also um, like those those coloring games are actually really popular on the 3ds as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Last 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 thing I guess is um, you know kind of going across all that stuff. There are really interesting games on the the console. Um, you know whether it be stuff that were u- u- utilizing the the Super FX chip or. Um, just you know, some companies were just trying to do uh, po- crazy polygonal stuff on the uh, Super Nintendo. Just trying pretty much anything to to separate themselves, to stand out, or just do something different. Because that was a relatively long uh, life for a console was six years. If you're st- talking about it starting out in Japan in the '90s, but um, I guess what was there any kind of like just like favorite just super weird like pushing the limits of the console you know type game that that stood out to you that you liked um well oddly enough i was the only person that liked stunt race effects yeah that's right i admit it yeah uh yeah. <laughs> like this racing game where the cars have googly eyes mm-hmm. um 
And I played the crap out of that game. And I got like, uh, you know, I all I finished all the races. I saw the ending of that game. Mm-hmm. And that was one game before I started working at EGM. They had reviewed it and they trashed it. <laughs> and I started working there and I was trying to convince them that it was a good game. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, I didn't convince anyone. I didn't I wasn't able to. But when there was a there was a trick for stunt race that they needed to do, they called me over so that I could uh play play through it and get to that point and uh take a screenshot for them of this trick that was in the game. Um I I like Star Fox. I that's a, a, that's a great game. Uh, well, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's a great game. Sixty four is certainly better, and it's a better telling of that game. But I mean, we played uh, Star Fox for for the show, um, like maybe a year ago, and it's still like it still holds up. I think it is the best soundtrack in the series. Maybe maybe the best yeah. soundtrack on the Super Nintendo too is fantastic. Oh yeah, especially that level one music. I have that yeah. stuck in my head so often for no apparent reason. Just but like, I, like I got, those drums and like just like getting you like firing out of the uh, like the the airbase and stuff like that. Like just getting you ready for an incredible adventure is just perfect music for it. Hell yeah, hell yeah! I, I got so good at that game that I could almost play it blindfolded. Like I really, <laughs> I played some of those stages so much that. It, I knew exactly when the enemies were going to appear on screen and exactly what position I had to have the R-Wing in, and it was, uh, it was just great. Uh, th- maybe, maybe the last thing that I wanted to uh, ask you, I keep finding you know, more questions that I want to ask you about this stuff, but um, if, you, if you could only have one library, and I'm going to give the Sega its library of CD and 32X-based games and 32X cd based games uh if you could only have access to one library uh today what would it be the the sega genesis and its family of you know add-ons or the the super nintendo and its lineup of games i would pick the super nintendo because even though at the time i was a sort of a genesis fan Mm -hmm. i'm not sure those games hold up as well for me uh, as sure. the Super Nintendo stuff, as the output that Nintendo themselves did, really. Um, and I've always been a f- huge fan of Nintendo's in-house output. So mm-hmm. I think those games uh, hold up way better. Is it the best console that uh, Nintendo has ever created, uh, putting it in its place and time and also the, the library of games that it uh, has exclusive to it? Um, I'm going to say no. I actually like the Wii U more. That's right. <laughs> I forgot you're nuts. <laughs> I'm nuts. Exactly. I I don't know why. Uh, I just like the Wii U more than the like, Super Nintendo. Like if I could, if I could just like say things like Final Se- Final Fantasy two and three, Super Metroid, Sonic Blast, man. Like I'm just naming stuff off the top. It's like Super sure. Cat, all Super everything. Like Super everything. Mm-hmm. I think just if you just took the super games, I think you have more quality stuff than the Wii U. But I I think you're right. But Super Punch Out. <laughs> super Mario Kart. Super Mario World. Right. Super Metroid. Super yeah. Super Baseball. So many so many <laughs> Super Street Fighter 2. 
I mean, yes. that's that's even pretty good. Um, yeah, there's. <laughs> I mean, I, you're right. You're right. I, you're right. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, like I'll ask you in Wii 25 U. years. I'll ask you in See, 25 the, years. The Wii U needs love. The Super Nintendo don't need any love. You're right. Like, I, it doesn't need my support. Like, people people love the Super Nintendo. Nobody loves the Wii U. Wii U has the least appreciated great library. I hope I said that right. The Wii U has the 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 least appreciated great library of of games. Like even all the way up to like Sharp FE that just recently came out. Just yeah, uh, you know, lots of of great games. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't going to to play unless you know there's some kind of you know downloadable capabilities for the next hardware. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any uh, any final words on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System? A system that uh, was able to somehow, you know, have an incredibly long uh, lifespan, all the way to 1997 for its its last games. It was available in retail stores in the United States all the way till 19. Excuse me, this was in Japan until 1999, and I believe it was 19. Uh, no. I was right. No, it was available in stores in North America until 1999. And in Japan, they were making Super Famicoms till 2003. That's crazy. Same thing in Brazil. They were, make, they were selling them in there until 2003, but Brazil is a little bit weird. And also, it uh, looks like in uh, Korea, as or South Korea, until 2003, they were selling brand, brand new hardware. That's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. And actually... Uh, you know, I, I was able to go to Japan in the late 90s and got some Super Nintendo games that Nintendo put out there but never released here, like uh, Kirby's Super Star Stacker. I have a, a Nintendo Power cartridge, which Nintendo Power was the system oh, at yeah. convenience stores where you could buy a blank cartridge oh, so cool. and uh, burn some games on. So I have two of those Nintendo Power Carts. One has Kirby Superstar Stacker on it. The other has Wrecking Crew 98. Yeah, hell yeah. It. And uh, both of those games are absolutely fantastic. Uh, Star Stacker, especially like the Super Nintendo version, you can do uh, the same screen for two players. It's it's uh, it's really great, uh, and I love that game. Uh, and there was another one. I think Intelligent Systems did this game called Sute Hakun, and it's a puzzle platformer. Uh, with this little like uh, bird, like ice bird type thing mm-hmm. uh, that I picked up. It was super cheap at like a Yodabashi camera. And uh, I like that game a lot as well. I And I think there are some late stage Super Nintendo releases that Nintendo should put out on virtual console like those games. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did a Picross game, you know, the yep. Super Mario's Picross. They did a, a couple of... Uh, Nintendo Power uh, convenience store special editions of the Picross games that I'd <laughs> love to see uh, actually come out at some point, but maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's there's a lot of cool uh, like repro cars that you can get, like the Power Fest '94 uh, type stuff. Like it was very much like the um, Nintendo World Championship carts that they made uh, for the for the NES, but um, yeah. that. That's that's just a that's an era and a time that it it is weird that um you know I I really wish I could be in Tokyo in like 1992 to experience the opportunity to go to a convenience store pick up 
you know, some green tea and then also put in my cartridge and just download <laughs> a new game to my cartridge. Yeah. It just seems like, you know, so futuristic. It really does. It's <sighs> a bummer. <laughs> um, well, that is, uh, I mean, that is, that is a super Famicom and you can also, you know, go and if you haven't already, you can go to some of the previous episodes, uh, that we've done. You've been on a couple for, for the super Nintendo, including, uh, your very first one was, a link to the past, uh, which seems like forever ago. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of, uh, great super Nintendo games and the, the console is still well celebrated today through uh, Nintendo's current hardware offerings, which is really great to see as well. Um, it's, it's, it's just so damn good. It's so damn good. Um, all right, really well, C- is. CJ, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk about the, the super Nintendo's 25th, anniversary and um where can people you know hear you talk about the wii u and other great nintendo things <laughs> well you can find me at player one because i do the player one podcast with phil theobald greg seward and ethan einhorn and we've done 500 over 500 <laughs> episodes and now a lot of nintendo talk in there a lot of nintendo talk uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my nickname there is Super Pac. That's S U P E R P A C, like Super Pac Man, but also the political connotation of it. That somehow I have that went, name. We went another cycle, and you still haven't gotten offers for that thing. Nope. Yeah, actually, this the, for some reason this time I've gotten fewer mistaken tweets at me. I don't know why. People wow. are learning how to actually use Twitter. Maybe I don't know, but. Uh, Weird. But yeah, I still have that. And then I work at Adult Swim Games, and that's adultswim.com slash games to check out all of our stuff. Yeah, and you guys, like we were talking before, you guys have a, a man, you're publishing Toe Jam and Earl. That's nuts. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's so crazy. Um, yeah, this is going to be just an incredible time for, for video games, and uh, make sure that you're checking out. Uh, yeah, Player One Podcast is absolutely outstanding. If you aren't already listening to that, go check it out. And now you can also get the weekly, and this is this is what I love. You get a weekly PlayStation Vita segment with Ethan Einhorn and his <laughs> absolute great. Like he was, yes. te- he was sending me messages through Twitter today about like he's so pumped he got a copy of Virtual Tennis Four <laughs> and like GameStop. He's he is in the absolute best like crazy collecting uh, mood right now for the Vita. So you can also get that segment as part of the show uh, every single week. So I am a firm, firm supporter of all that. Um, well, that's going to do it uh, for this little mini episode, which ended up being about 45 minutes. But uh, thank you so much for, for tuning in and, and listening. And uh, CJ, thank you so much for sharing your memories of the Super Nintendo. Thanks, Kevin. We're here for another fantastic extra segment of Back of My Play, talking about the 25th anniversary of the Super Nintendo here in North America. And I had to talk to my good friend, Peter Brown from GameSpot.com. Peter, how are you? I am so good. Thanks for having me on again. 
Oh, thank you for, for taking the time to talk about some Super Nintendo. It's going to be a super segment, and I need to... Yeah, it's going to be a lot of that kind of bad <laughs> stuff. But, um, you know, this is this is a great time to talk about this stuff because, you know, you're seeing lots of great features and articles coming out about the 25th anniversary, so it's getting a lot of those those memories kind of brought back to the, the front of mind and stuff like that. So that's why I want to talk to as many people as possible. And... You know, maybe the best place to start is just at the beginning with you. I'm kind of curious, what was your, you know, what was your experience with like the buildup of the hype of the the Super Nintendo? Were you already like on the the NES train, so you knew like you're going right from that station, you're going to go right to Super Nintendo, or did you go to the Genesis? And like, what was what was your whole mindset at the time leading up to the the launch? And, and what did you know? So I was definitely born on the NES train. Uh, I was born in 85. <laughs> My brother bought it uh, when it came out, and he was about 10 years older. So I grew up an NES kid, but when maybe he got a little bit older and didn't care about games so much, and the Genesis came out, my parents were like, are you interested in this, or do you want to wait for the Super Nintendo? And I found that the Genesis was going to be a way for me to like make my step into gaming because I'd always ridden my mm. brother's coattails, right? With the mm-hmm. NES. So this was going to be, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to choose Genesis. I'm going to go this way. Um, and fast forward by the time the Super Nintendo came out and I <laughs> regretted that decision so much. Um, I, I had fun with Sonic. I had fun with, you know, Streets of Rage a little bit as mm-hmm. a kid. But when I went to my friend's houses, when they got the Super Nintendo, that's when I realized that mm. they had made the right decision. Um, and yeah, I was just thoroughly, thoroughly impressed and it, it should have made sense to me from the get go, but it was really nice seeing the stuff that I grew up with in like a richer format you mm-hmm. know, on a pad with more buttons. Yeah. Did you, did you get, um, I mean, obviously it looks like you're kind of susceptible to the Sega does what Nintendo don't, uh, advertising maybe to a, a certain extent, but was there like a point in like was it just like the Super Nintendo launch? It was when you went and saw it at a friend's house. Where you're like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta make a course correction. We gotta start making a game plan to get a a Super Nintendo in this house. So Super Mario World, I think I played maybe at Blockbuster or Toys R Us, mm-hmm. and that was like my first exposure. And it was like, okay, kind of obvious. I knew to expect this, um, but then I want to say it was by the time that Star Fox came out. And the first time I had Star Fox was when I knew I had to change course. Because <laughs> that was just fundamentally crazy. I mean, like you'd seen, I don't even think it was at that point, but you had seen, you know, teases of early 3D games on the Genesis, maybe like Virtual Racer, even, or Virtual Racing. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think that came much later. But still, Star Fox kind of blew me away. Um, and then also Mega Man X. I was. <laughs> I was very confused by that because I followed the games and obviously I knew there had been six. And by the time I saw X, I was like, wait, is this 10? What mm-hmm. happened to the other three? Um, yeah, so it was like Star Fox and Mega Man X were the two games that really told me, all right, time to make a change here. So that Super FX technology was uh, was very powerful for, for you to have as a, as a selling point because it was getting you know these... these big graphical leaps, whether it was being used for, for polygons or just using for like, you know, multiple layers or more colors and stuff like that. Like that was the thing that really separated the Super Nintendo from the Genesis for you. I couldn't tell you at the time that I mm. <laughs> knew what the Super FX chip was, but um, I think it was, you know, cause I've like a lot of kids, I grew up with star Wars. I like the idea of space yeah. and like, dog fights and stuff. And it was kind of like the first taste of that, um, 
on a console. I had played mm-hmm. games like X-Wing versus TIE Fighter at the time, or maybe one of the earlier releases in that series on mm-hmm. PC, and it was like, all right. But the third person thing that looked a little bit like an X-Wing, even though the wings didn't open, uh, that's what did it for me. I think capturing that sci-fi dream of being a space pilot uh, like back then you didn't have access to every single game that you wanted. Like it wasn't just a case of, you know, today where, you know, we just pre-order something on Amazon, we get a re- release date delivery and we're, we're good to go. So I'm kind of curious, they might not have been like the best games, but what were the games that you were playing the most on, on your Super Nintendo or even, you know, maybe on top of that, like what were the games that you played? Like it was like the game that your friend had. Like you never owned it, but it was like whenever you went over to that friend's house, you were always playing like Turtles in Time or something like that. I think the game I played the most was probably Pilot Wings. Um, another game that uses, uh, in this case, Mode 7, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was the mix of simulation and uh, console fun uh, or like that ease of like play, like kind of it was a mix yeah. of arcade and simulation, I guess. Uh, yeah, Pilot Wings was the one I kept coming back to because it was really challenging. But those first few levels were fun mm-hmm. uh, and they were pretty accessible too. So I always felt like I could get in there and at least feel somewhat successful and feel inspired to go back. This is super random, but like, how do you feel about like where the Pilot Wings series stands today? Because there was uh, a release on the sixty four and then on the three DS, but it's been it's been pretty quiet lately. Is is that something that you would? you would want to see return or can you just go back to the super Nintendo version and get kind of what you want? I do go back to the super Nintendo version and I still feel pretty happy about that one. Mm -hmm. I think I could exist in a world where that was the only pilot wings game and be fine. But that said, there's a lot of talk about what the NX is going to be. And I think pilot wings may be the sort of series where Nintendo's sort of you know, desire to be adventurous in terms of input mm-hmm. might be able to help them uh, come up with a new pilot wings, which kind of serves as an interesting platform to sort of show off their technology too. I think yeah. uh, Wii Sports was a good example of that. So, it, you know, Nintendo, if you're listening, maybe pilot wings is, you know, <laughs> its turn has come up. Well, you know, I, I do know at least one person from Nintendo that listens to the show, thankfully. So, but we'll may, maybe we'll see. <laughs> maybe they can make some some input. But um, yeah, I, not to like stay on pilot wings for for too long. But I know it was just not recently. But I guess maybe I discovered it recently where um, it was the the unseen sixty four crew that discovered a bunch of you know crazy or just you know the the thought of um, the uh, Factor Five guys working on a pilot wing sequel in the GameCube era that would have been a little bit more darker and, and grittier (laughs) and maybe a completely, uh, complete reinvention of it. But then of course we just got the, the 3ds version, which I guess is okay. Some people seem to think that was okay. I have to look that up because I really like Factor Five's uh, the Rogue Squadron games they did. Yeah, it, it was. I guess um, they they had some sort of contract with Nintendo, and Nintendo like you know contracted them out. But uh, you know, I guess a dark and gritty take on Pilot Wings <laughs> was not something that Nintendo wanted on the Purple GameCube uh, at the time, yeah. or even I guess the the Wii when they started going towards the the launch of that but yeah the unseen unseen 64 i believe it was actually like a youtube video there's no footage of it but just talking about the you know factor fives uh you know influence on all that stuff but um uh, along with that like you mentioned pile wings is a game that you go back to uh a lot today is there 
like the the way that I wanted to kind of position this question for the people that I talked to is you know I know there's there's some like classic games but are there other games on the Super Nintendo that you feel like you need to go back to at least once a year and and if not go all the way through spend like a substantial amount of time not just like you know pop the card in and then play for 5 or 10 minutes and then move on to something else but like something that you can really you know sink your teeth into and still holds up today in 2016 uh, I guess I would say like a lot of the first party stuff is mm-hmm. obviously like, really great to go back to play, but beyond pilot wings, it would probably be our type three. Yeah. And, Hell yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and chrono trigger. Uh, I think those two games sort of suit my tastes the most, um, and are just excellent examples of the caliber of game you could get on a super Nintendo. Mm. Uh, let me let me ask you about Chrono Trigger for a second because I am I'm playing through that right now. I bet I've had a lots of um, false starts on that game over the years, mm. whether it be on you know playing it on a Super Nintendo card or playing it on you know uh, emulator. Now it's on the the D- I'm playing the DS version on a sweet DSi. Um, but what what is what is like the main thing that that make makes that game magical? Uh, for you because it seems like whenever I talk to people it's almost like a different thing from everyone for me it's definitely the music yeah uh, first and foremost I feel like uh, especially I mean like the first few hours of that game were set up so wonderfully by the score Um, it really just sits on its own I think among the Super Nintendo library for a game that sort of approaches the sound but it doesn't really go too far out of its way like I think it strikes a really nice balance between sounding digital, but also trying to sound like an orchestrated piece of music. Um, yeah, that, that's got to be it for me. The combat system is great, and I love the artwork as well, but mm. that's the first thing I think of when I think about Chrono Trigger is the soundtrack. Yeah, Mitsuda, like, I mean, the soundtrack's so good that it's, you know, spans across three discs, and it's had multiple, like, re-releases in Japan over over the years and that is uh something I'm I'm very happy to to own a copy of and also available on iTunes if you just want to pick it up there it's like 10 bucks on iTunes for all three all like 60 something tracks of that uh incredible soundtrack um <laughs> is Chrono Cross good <laughs> uh depends on what you want to get out of it uh I really enjoyed it again the soundtrack is uh one of the best on the the system that mm-hmm. it's from it's one of the best PlayStation soundtracks there is um I I don't like the in-game artwork very much mm-hmm. the combat system could be more enjoyable but I really but I I like the sort of twists and turns that the story presents and that I think there are 46 that you stand the chance to recruit, um, mm-hmm. which when I played, gave me the ability to recruit a guy sort of the spiritual reincarnation of Frog, mm-hmm. the original Chrono Trigger. Um, so as a fan coming from the first game into Chrono Cross, I was thoroughly pleased by it. But I could totally understand why people don't like that game. <laughs> At least they might argue with the 10 that we gave it on GameSpot. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh... Again, it's it's a game that I hope to like. Almost part of my reason for playing some some Chrono Trigger right now is and getting through it is so I can finally give Chrono Cross uh, a shot because of how polarizing it is in it today. Like how people look back on it, it seems like a lot of people back in the day really enjoyed it. It seems to have gotten some pretty high 
high marks, but whenever it's brought up to today, it's usually uh, not looked back on so so fondly. So uh, it's really see. it's really hard to go back to that game. I'll say that it's not a looker. Um, I mean, uh, you know, it's I I at least have I have low expectations going into it, so uh, maybe that will help me out in the the long run. But like you said, like again, one of the best soundtracks. Maybe the best soundtrack in the history of video games, um, which is is saying something. Uh, I wanted to also uh, ask you about the the later Super Nintendo years, and this is something I also talked to uh, you know CJ from the Player One podcast a little bit about. Um, Donkey Kong Country seems to be a very diverse game, and no, like not only Donkey Kong Country, but like Rare's output on the the Super Nintendo uh, through yeah. the the three Donkey Kong Country games, and even with the you know Battletoads and Battletoads uh, and Double Dragon and stuff like that. Um, so I'm kind of curious: um, is is Donkey Kong Country and its sequels are those good games? I think they are good games. Okay, I, I would not go out of my way to play them though. <laughs> even even <laughs> even even uh diddy kong's quest diddy's conquest i would play diddy kong racing over any other donkey kong country related piece of gaming <laughs> all right fair enough fair enough um okay yeah i just needed to because it, that is like that was in that those later years where you got lots of lots of like weird super super nintendo games and even just you know, whether it be the super FX stuff, whether it be like doom coming to the, the super Nintendo and actually being like a pretty good port. Um, there's just lots of, of weird stuff. Do you have any, any titles in your head of just kind of like later super Nintendo stuff that you may have missed as you went on to the PlayStation or the, the Sega Saturn or even the Nintendo 64, uh, that you later discovered and thought, Hey, like I just totally missed this game. It was a later release, but it's totally worth going back to and, and, and checking out. Uh, Kirby's dreamland three definitely passed me by. I think that came out as late as like 96 or 97. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, let me see. Oh, metal warriors. Have you Hell played that? Or yeah. That? Hell yeah. Yeah. So that's one I didn't discover until Se- sequel to Metal Storm. <laughs> well, maybe in spirit, kind of a little bit, just without the gravity, um, the gravity switching. Well, it was made by uh, it was made by Irem, right? No, no, it was made by Konami. Oh, okay. But actually, well, actually, sorry, it was published by Konami, developed by the Lucas Arts team. Um, okay. It's a weird game that wasn't actually released in Japan, despite fitting the Japanese aesthetic of the era perfectly. Right. Um, it is a game that <laughs> I've seen people make custom Super Famicom boxes for because it just seems only right mm-hmm. that that should exist. Um, yeah, definitely that one. That one's unfortunately really expensive now. Um, and it's one of those games that is really difficult to control. It's not one you pick up and play. You have to spend some time with it. And when it's an expensive game, that's always a tough sell. But uh, I was lucky to get one for a decent price a couple years back, and it's great. Um, yeah, at the end of the Super Nintendo life cycle, I was actually beginning to collect uh, for like you know older games a little bit. Um, so I always kind of had my eye on it. But uh, but yeah, the PlayStation definitely took up a lot of time as well. So that that kept me back. 
Well, this is a really weird turn of events where I went to, and you're totally right. Like I just did that. I judged that based on the box art because like the mech looks, it's like that almost chibi. It's like a fat mech. Chunky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Chunky mech. So like that's, that's probably why I made the uh, connection b- between the two and even like the level layouts, like look similar in terms of the design and stuff. Anyways, um, you're, you're right. LucasArts made that. That's so weird. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange little game. The you, story behind it. Do you, do you know about this? And this is why like, I'm just bringing this up um, because I, I searched for, for Metal Warriors on, on Google and stuff, as you would do when you want to know information. And right on the side is an advertisement for Etsy for reproduction cartridges for not just Metal Warriors, but like like lots of officially released games like Wild Guns, Earthbound, like with... All the games that are three figures, you know? <laughs> yeah, and they're all in like super NES looking carts with their super NES labels. And yep. um, I never knew about this market. Oh, you didn't? It's weird. It just... Like I started they, noticing these are, it these are repros. These are like... Right. Like it's not like trying to bring over a game that never came out in the states. These are just like actual new copies of this game. Like, I mean, it's are, technically a repro, a repro if you think about right, it that you're way, right. right? Like, like furniture. You know, you can buy reproduction furniture that fits the bill, even if you know it's not the same. Right. Hmm. Yeah. It's sketchy. It, it's a thing that I think started happening, at least in terms of like Etsy and eBay, like maybe mm-hmm. a year ago. I started noticing it more. Oh, this is this must be making it really dirtier for the 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 retro market because like literally only thing that is different from this game than from you know the the real version is that on like the back where they usually have like the nintendo stamp on the bottom there's just no nintendo stamp there's still like the safety label in the back like the label in the front looks perfect and you know believe it or not this is coming from hong kong but uh (laughs) it's just weird to see like not only this but it's like when I think of repros, it's games like Terranigma. It's games that right. you know never got a release here in the states. But these guys are just literally selling bootleg copies of the game. They are, uh, you know, informed collectors uh, such as yourself. Uh, you, you know, you're probably aware that there are some telltale signs, um, and you may have to do a little bit of research to figure out if you're buying a real deal. But if you're going to, sure. you know. I think most people will search and see, wait a minute, why is one version of this game $50 and one is, you know, right. 200 let's say. Uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely a little bit sketchy and it does, I think, uh, impact the collector's market somewhat. But um, yeah, that game in particular, always make sure the label says made in Mexico. If it says made in Japan, that's right. not legit. It was one of those later cheaply made releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, the same deal with Ogre Battle. That's another game yeah. that can command a little bit of money. Um and the sad thing is the labels tend to not have thick laminate and they wear off. So that's another sign, which can at least tell you you have a real one, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a downer. You have to look for lower quality to make sure you got the real deal. But yeah, repros are not the sort of, uh, they're no longer straddling a line. They've sort of crossed over a line at that point. Is it like, this is really bad, but I'm like looking at these and being like, yeah, 25 bucks to own a copy of Earthbound that would work on a SNES? So I bought a Earthbound Repro because it had a patch applied to it that uncensored a lot of things oh, cool. and reverted changes back. Like it has the original title screen from the Japanese version, for, in- mm-hmm. for instance. Um, so yeah, like in that case, I can see why you might want to do this. 
it definitely helps if you're buying something that's clearly marked or just appears to be not official. Right. Um, like the one I have, for instance, has the Mother 2, you know, red background with that logo mm-hmm. on the cart. So no one's going to confuse that for Earthbound. Exactly. Like, that's done. I could have downloaded a ROM. It would have been just as weird. But it's definitely strange when you start. Uh, yeah, like I think if the wrong person who doesn't know what they're getting into buys one of those and then tries to resell it, that's mm-hmm. where the problem begins. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, I don't own a Super Nintendo anymore. I only have a Super Famicom, so none of this stuff would fit in the console anyways. So <laughs> I can uh, I can close this page and then just shake my head a little bit uh, at it. Anyways, um, all right. So uh, speaking of repros, I don't know. What, are there any... Um, I don't know if that was the one we were kind of talking a little bit off the air, but um, th- this is a little bit of a, a fascinating market where there are like lots of repro games that are coming out and most of the time like we were talking about a second ago it's not just like here's a you know this this game is super rare now so here's just a bunch of of new copies of this game it's when you can get like an english copy of mother for the famicom but something that you could play on the nes or in the case of super nintendo like the big ones are usually terranigma or uh there's even like a couple uh games that were never released like Star Fox 2 like those mm-hmm. those that I consider to be like repros so I was kind of curious are there any uh like repros that that you've been keeping an eye out for that you think that are are worth owning for the the Super Nintendo uh collector so in this case I would tend to gravitate towards Japanese exclusive games that are worth playing mm-hmm. um particularly if they're very expensive. Yeah. Um, so one example stands out. It's a game called King of Demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Japanese title is Majuo. Uh, that game sort of reminiscent of Castlevania in the, the tone and theme, uh, except you carry a pistol and you can transform into uh, dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's got really big, great sprite work. Um, the language translation, like the barrier there isn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting a copy of Modulo can be very expensive. Yeah. Um, so considering it's not available anyway, I think that's a, that's a safe one to look for. Um, the other ones would probably be maybe Satellaview ports. Yes. Uh, Satellaview was the satellite sort of network, uh, game library system that Nintendo ran back in the nineties, uh, in Japan. And a lot of those games now only work if you have a Satellaview and you have a cartridge where you had saved the data back in the day. Mm-hmm. It can't be re-downloaded. Um, but people have gone in and found ways to tinker with the ROMs from those carts. They'll excavate the data, change it a little bit, and then they can make a reproduction cart out of it that will just run on a Super Nintendo without a Satellaview. Um, so there's something like BS Mario Kart, no, BS Excitebike. Yeah. I think there's like a Mario title attached to it, but that's multiplayer Excitebike with Mario characters. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, BS and then Zelda, also a, of course. BS Zelda, right? That's the other one. Yep, that remixes the original game. Uh, makes you a character with a baseball cap if you're a boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's odd. Um, yeah, but I think those those are really good candidates, and you know, reasonable justification for going to repro route. Yeah, I think uh, that that's always a game that I never play. That's it's just super. Fascinating. Like I was talking with, um, I guess I was talking with CJ. That's the one I recorded right before this, where um, he was he was doing, you know, back in the EGM days, he was still doing trips out to Japan, where they were seeing the 
like inside the convenience stores where you could basically just bring like a flash cart and oh yeah you know plop that in and download like a brand new super famicom or game boy game to it um you know some of those games would be would be great to see uh on the repro market i know a couple of them are out there um but also yeah just to to be able to travel to back to like 1993 tokyo japan and just like have a Satellaview and be able to tune in and listen to like the radio station of like the announcer talking to you how to play Legend of Zelda it would just be super fascinating. Right. It's unfortunate. It's just lost for forever, except, you know, some of it's saved in these repro cards. Yeah. And it's up to people to find these cards and preserve them because that's the only way it's going to happen. Are there any Super NES games that you're still looking to to track down that you haven't been able to find or that you just haven't been able to find at a, at a reasonable price? Because things, like I did some poking around. I haven't been buying much uh, lately, but just looking at prices of things, like things are going through the roof. It's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. That's it's been a mess for it. a long time. Yeah, it's part of the reason I'm starting to slow down. But I've also over the years kind of managed to get most of the things uh that i want i think one uh wild guns you mentioned earlier mm. that's a game i've sort of had my eye on and i i, t- I like to collect for super famicom these days yeah um, like complete boxes and stuff and that one's got a great set the uh the u.s cart loose isn't prohibitively expensive it's not great i think it's just shy of two hundred dollars um which is not a price I pay often, but for one of those games, that's like, you know, a white whale in a sense, Mm -hmm. I might be stupid and do that one day. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it. I've got a good enough collection to feel that I can actually start to pare it down Mm -hmm. at this point. You know how I feel about that. I think it's good to, (laughs) I have a really good focused collection of about, I don't know. I, I think I have like 20 physical games across the Vita, the DS, and the Dreamcast right now. And some, I have some Famicom, some Super Famicom stuff, but. Oh, man. It, it's. I don't, yeah. The more you get rid I, of, the easier it is, <laughs> I think. Yeah, but there are certain. There, I have. I guess I don't collect for bulk very often. I tend to right. focus on things that I really care about. Mm-hmm. Um, not to imply that you don't or hadn't, but oh no, I just I bought, dude, I bought like everything that looked reasonably good. Yeah, you're right. Wild Guns is, and this is kind of weird because now you can look at GameStop prices for retro games, which are actually kind of fair. They're totally <laughs> fair. Like I bought, yeah. so I bought a bunch of Dreamcast stuff off there for for really cheap. Even uh, some like Genesis stuff, like games for like four or five bucks, like for you know like weird ass Genesis games, like were worth picking up. Um, but yeah, two hundred twenty bucks for for Wild Guns, none available online right now. They also have the best price available, the best listed price for Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah, a game that is well over four hundred dollars now on yeah. eBay. That's three ninety nine, right? Pre owned from Games? No, it's uh, two twenty five pre owned from GameStop if they have it in stock. <laughs> but that day will probably never come. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Not in stock. Two forty nine. Yeah, that's course. that is a great deal. Um hey, well two twenty four ninety nine if you're a power up awards member too. Don't forget that. Um <laughs> yeah, I mean like there is uh I mean there's a lot of great stuff that you can pick up on on like the Super Famicom and stuff like that. And that is definitely a, an avenue that people can go to. But even, you know, like you're saying before, like that stuff is kind of drying up over over in Japan too, unless you're willing to go to Kyoto or Osaka or something like that to go look for games. Yeah. It's 
I mean, Super Potato knows that a lot of foreigners are going to flock to Super Potato, <laughs> and uh, they they charge accordingly. Um, and the other stores are just picked over now as well. Everyone gets it, so it's a tough time to be a collector. But I th- I think uh, maybe some good advice is to just really understand what games you you really want, mm. and then maybe you'll have a little extra money that you didn't spend on games that just looked okay, which is something I did. I spent a lot of money on games that just looked okay. Um, yeah. You, so. you, are, you, uh, are you interested at all in Wild Guns Reloaded coming to the PlayStation 4 this fall? Yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested. I'm super happy Natsume is doing that. Isn't that uh, crazy? And they're releasing it like on a, on a disc. Uh, yeah. They've been <laughs> surprising me. Like A couple of months ago, they started selling old Super Nintendo stock on eBay. Whoa, and I was, what? Yeah, like brand new copies of Harvest Moon. And they Are were you making thousands, me? No, thousands of dollars on these copies. And it was like kind of interesting to see a company do that. And then they announced this remake of Wild Guns. And it's like, man, they're just jonesing on oh, Super so Nintendo cool. over at Natsume right now. Well, you can uh, yeah, imagine like stuff. there's there's companies like Nintendo or even like Square. I bet there is like, like it, I, well, it was like five years ago or something like that. Sega just found a like a pallet of extra Dreamcasts, like brand yeah. new and then sold them for a hundred bucks a piece. Like I'm sure there are boxes in these companies that just has like, you know, brand new sealed copies of super Metroid or something like that, that, you know, like they don't know what to do with them because they're huge corporations, but you know, Natsume is obviously a little bit smaller and they're a little bit more uh, agile, I guess, as a company and they're willing to do cool stuff like that. Yeah. I, I will say I had a friend at Sony uh, when a few months back, Sony sent out a, a newsletter to their employees saying, hey, uh, we're opening a little pop-up shop. Hmm. We're selling some extra stuff. Uh, included in that are some uh, sealed launch PlayStation 2s that we found. <laughs> Jeez. And they were, I think, 25 bucks mm-hmm. a pop. Uh, so I had my friend pick one up for me. Oh, that's such a cool thing to have. Is it? Yeah, I <laughs> it do. I think so. Dude, it's a, a, it like is, a launch PlayStation 2. <laughs> Yeah, launch PlayStation Two, just the clean blue block, blue box. Yeah, there's like the smallest dent in it, but it's otherwise in great shape. Um, it's cool. I like to have it, but it's also just another one of those things I have to keep in a closet. Um, hey, you, I bet, I bet, like you could sell that. You could flip it right now for hundred bucks, easy. I mean, it's. It, I looked it up. It's like closer to like four hundred. <laughs> oh, geez. See, look. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an investment, and it's just uh, like that's something I wouldn't. That's just stuff like that is is cool to own and, and cool to to happen. I I don't know if Nintendo ever does stuff like that, but um, they should. Um, I think given the price I paid, we've actually got a couple museums located in the Bay area mm. for only 25 bucks i would love to actually just give it to someone that can yeah, uh, totally. use it for for those kind of purposes It'd be different if i paid more money but this was sort of it was almost free so um we'll see i gotta figure out i'll do something with it uh the last thing i wanted to ask you about is we're getting the um nes classic edition or whatever the hell they're calling it um this fall and it seems like just from judging by the the constant sellouts of the pre-orders, this thing's probably going to do okay. Um, do, do you do you think that you know we should expect a Super Nintendo version of this, like maybe for like next fall? Is that something that you would want to see if they can pull this thing off with some like really good emulation and, and have a good product? I definitely want it to happen. Um, 
I have a running unspoken bet that <laughs> uh, the NES Classic Edition will outsell the Wii U uh, in the same amount of time. <laughs> um, so oh, yeah. I think in that sense, I'm kind of half joking but half serious. Uh, but I think, you know, that thing will do well. Nintendo has sort of applied a motif to the packaging that um, establishes the classics line of products right. and distinguished it with the uh, the silhouette of a Super Nintendo, or uh, sorry, NES controller. So I think that implies they're considering a future where there will be more types of the, these things. So yes, I think the Super Nintendo one will happen and I would be stoked. That would be great. I... I, I think there's a a gigantic, and I totally agree with you. I think it would be it would be undershooting it to say that they sell a million of these this holiday. Yeah, I yeah, I'm actually surprised to hear that pre-orders have opened and been sold out because I haven't heard anything. But that's the thing is uh, they they sell out in minutes. Like I was able, oh, I'm, okay. I'm I'm a huge asshole, and I've pre-ordered one at uh, Toys R Us and at Target because. You just never know, guys. So I, I pre-ordered two, and maybe I'll, I'll give like one away on the show or something like that. But um, yeah, like it, 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 they popped up there and uh, in those two uh, spots. But still, like I guess Best Buy hasn't opened them up. Amazon hasn't opened them up. B and H, like the the other big real retailers, haven't opened them up because there isn't like an like a pre-order. Like it seemed, I think they even did this for like PS4 and for Xbox One. Like there was a. There was a pre-order date. Like we're opening up pre-orders this date. Like all the retailers are going to do it. This is the day to go and line up and, and get ready for, you know, the the pre-orders and stuff like that. But for this, again, I, maybe just Nintendo didn't think it would have such a huge demand. But it's like they're just grabbing at your nostalgia with that box and with that with that you know one minute trailer. Like how are you not going to buy this thing for seventy bucks? Yeah, no, it it's a great deal. I'm super stoked about it. I just hope there's a Famicom version that follows up. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. I, I, yeah. Right. Because you know, like what could that lineup be for Japan? Like we could get a Famicom version just to a, have that little Famicom on our desk, but B like talk about like the weird ass games that were huge, like tower of Daraga or like (laughs) milk and nuts. Like what, what are the weird like games that the Japanese people are, uh, nostalgic for like dragon, you know, dragon quest or something like that. Like I want to see, I almost just like want to see what like that lineup of games would be that Nintendo of Japan would pick for that, for that audience would be just as cool as seeing the product itself. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Indeed. Uh, well that will, will do it for, for this segment. But, um, outside of that, uh, Peter, anything and, and keep in mind, this is going to come out in a little bit over a week, but anything that, that people should keep in mind for things that you have, uh, coming up at, uh, gamespot.com or elsewhere. Are you, are you going to PAX? No, I'm not going to PAX. They don't send me anywhere. <laughs> Um, I will be home, uh, dutifully playing, hopefully by this time, Dragon Quest, uh, seven. Oh, hell 3DS. yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, doing the review for that. And then, um, probably another one or two games before Final Fantasy 15. Um, how the hell are you be... going to review that game? Isn't it like 120 hours long? Dragon Quest eight or seven? Seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm going to give it my best. hope they like include a copy of you know, or like a case of jolt cola with that, that copy that they send out to press or something. I don't know how people are going to have time to review that game. It'll probably be a review in progress before I get to the full thing. But I've, you know, I never got a chance to play the PlayStation version despite Mm -hmm. 
following it during development and following it during delays and wanting badly to play it. By the time 2000 came out, I was knee deep in Dreamcast. So yeah, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, now's the chance. Hopefully that'll motivate me. I'll get through it and not die in the process. Uh, last question for you. Have you played Dragon Quest V? No. Oh, God. I want okay. to. Okay. Everyone um, tells me it's great. <laughs> I will... Uh, do you own, you own a copy of it, though, right? I don't believe I do. Okay. I This is this is homework for, for everyone out there. Like, Square did a reprint of the game, so it's like 25 bucks on Amazon. Okay. Buy a copy before they go back up to fifty for the DS because it is, it's uh, the three RPGs that I played. I played through four RPGs in my life. All right, it is number two out of the four best RPGs I've ever played. So trust me, it's worth picking it up. Like that's a high watermark. That's I mean, it's just not Persona Four. All right, (laughs) it's that's like no one's gonna ever touch Persona Four until Persona Five comes out. All right. Uh, well, I Peter, say, I, I can't wait till that comes out so you can uh, <laughs> move on. <laughs> I, 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 I don't own a PlayStation Four right now. I probably will for Persona Five unless some magical. See, this is my this is my like weird prediction. I promise I'll let you go to enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Is uh, NX launch title Persona Five? That would be killer because that way we will have a portable version of Persona Five and. It will be able to, you know, be as nice looking as the PlayStation Four ish version, and we got to have that thing on a portable because I cannot sit at a TV for eighty hours to play that game. Please make it happen, Nintendo. <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. That's that's my weird uh, predict prediction. But um, Peter, thank you so much for for taking the time to to come on. Make sure that you follow uh, Peter. The best place uh, is, I'm guessing, on Twitter at. PC Brown, uh, where you can stay up to date on everything that Peter has going on, including that awesome Dragon Quest Seven review that is uh, forthcoming within the next uh, five to six months. Whenever you can get through <laughs> that incredibly lengthy game, and the way that I want, I want you to let me know if that game is worth a hundred hours. Like, is it worth that time investment that I could put towards Chrono Cross <laughs> or <laughs> or some other great PlayStation One JRPG? That will be my challenge. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you so much, Peter, for, for taking the time to talk about some Super Nintendo and many, many other things. We will uh, catch you next time. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Take care.